Greetings to everyone here in person with us. Happy uh, 4th of July to you and your families, to those who are with us online. Welcome. It's a joy and privilege to be able to gather together. It's a joy to be going through the series we are this summer called One Another, Cultivating a Gospel Community. We've been taking time looking at various passages in the New Testament that give us a call to some kind of one another living. And if you have a Bible, why don't you open your Bible to to Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at the rest of that chapter, verses 14 through 21. As you're turning there, and the dynamic of one anothering is to care for each other through all the variety of things that we face in this life, from, from joys to hardships. And so uh, as you're turning there, I just wanted to draw your attention to just a few quick things about some people uh, within our church family are close to it. One is, uh, for, for some of you who have been here for a long time, well, I won't say how long is needed, but just a long time, you may remember uh, Jerry Seavey. Well, she had passed away this last week, and this Wednesday at Davis Funeral Home in Nashua at 12 p.m. is a service. Following that, um, there will be a graveside um, service at the New Hampshire State Veterans Cemetery at 2 p.m. That's about an hour away in some place called Bosquane. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Thank you. So for those who, who recall that family um, and Jerry, uh, that would be a, a great opportunity to encourage them, be with them this Wednesday at, seven, or at, excuse me, at 12 p.m. at Davis Funeral Home here in Nashua. The other is to remember Linda Walsh and her husband Jim. Jim's home from uh, an extended time in, in the hospital and then care following that. Uh, and so their whole world is uh, adapting. And so just prayer for them, encouragement for her and, and for Jim, for those who would reach out. And then on the other side of that is some joys. And uh, I just received this note before uh, the service. Um, we have some visitors with us, um, David and Gail Bell, Bell. But what is really exciting is that they're with their parents, Don and Joan Bell, who were married in this church 60 years ago. So I think if they're here, please stand up, say hello. So what a joy. We get to care for all the whole scope of life in the lives of each other. And, and God's given us good instructions on how to go about that as a church family. So if you're now there in your, your Bibles in Romans chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we certainly ask for your grace 
your power, your spirit to be at work in our hearts. We thank you that you have inspired this, your word, and that you illuminate our hearts to understand it. So God, would you do that work uh, right now, this time, be with us in the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of this, your word, to your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen. What comes to mind when I say the expression, being on the same page? Maybe you immediately think of your relationship with your spouse or significant other, and and you think it's far better to be on the same page. Or maybe you think of, you know, friends who get your sense of humor. So when you say things that would otherwise be odd or awkward, they burst out laughing because they are on the same page with you. Or maybe you think of a work environment or a project that you were working together with a team and, and being on the same page to accomplish the goal or the task that was needed. Being on the same page means everyone shares in the same goal or priority and strives together to reach it or keep it. And this being on the same page is our focus for our one another this morning. Live in harmony with one another. That we would live in harmony with one another. And, and what that means for the life of the church is, is really two things that we will draw out from this expression in Romans twelve sixteen, And that is, first, it means that we are committed to the long-haul work of the church. When we say we are going to live in harmony with one another, we're saying we're going to be committed in the long-haul work of the church. A long-haul mentality, what it means to be together in a local church. Secondly, living in harmony, harmony with one another means it produces a joy-filled power in the church. Long-haul work, joy-filled power. Who wouldn't want that when you think of the church? If this is something that is meaningful to you, and if you call this place your home, or at least are willing to call this place your home, wouldn't you want to be committed to the long-haul work? And wouldn't you want to experience the joy-filled power that comes with it? I hope that we see that together as we look through this passage. Jumping right in. Committed to the long-haul work of the church. First of all, as we see there in verse 16... It just simply states, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. That just means being like-minded. It literally means to be minded one another, or how we would say it, to be like-minded. That you're on the same page. Eleven times in Paul's letter to the Romans... He uses this word to describe the things that should characterize the church and what they believe and how they live it out. Eleven times. In the rest of the New Testament, you find it 17 times. So he's striving to get their attention at how important it is to be on the same page. To be on the same page. Now, in the New Testament, we find again the same author, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians reinforced this to them and connected it to the person and work of Christ in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 and 5. We find Paul saying this, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are to be on the same page, and that page is going to be directly linked and tied to Jesus and all that Jesus is and fulfills in terms of God's purposes. So we can't be on the same page if we're not first tethered together to Christ. And when we are thinking about what it looks like to be like-minded, committed to the long-haul work of the church, there are three sort of views in mind. That we are rooted to the same foundation, soaring to the same hope, and working to the same goal. Let's consider what that means for the life of a church. To be like-minded, working, the long-haul work. First is our core beliefs. That is, rooted to the same foundation. That, that we are holding very tightly to the core beliefs of the Christian faith. And, and I don't want to take something so vast and so layered and complicated and, and reduce it to something overly simplistic. I do want us to give us some categories to understand those core beliefs. First is what the Bible tells us about who God is. So we are committed to the core beliefs rooted in these things about who God is, who he has revealed himself to be in the pages of Scripture. That means the doctrine of God, Trinity, understanding the deity and humanity of Jesus. If you go wrong here, the the church will shipwreck in either idolatry of legalism or the idolatry of worldliness. We must be committed to these core beliefs about who God is. And if you look over church history, if you go all the way back to its very beginnings and all through its development and all of the times in which it faced error from within, it was tied to being off on the doctrine of God and the person of Jesus. The church had to deal with those things very early on, very seriously. It was that important. People's lives were lost to hold on to these core beliefs. So we are rooted in them, but not just who God is, but also what God has done. We must hold tightly to the core beliefs of the doctrine of grace, of salvation, how it is accomplished, and of sanctification, how our lives grow and change and mature and reflect more and more of Christ. We must hold tightly to these things because wrong here, we start to think we contribute to what God has done or that we're really the center of the story. And if we pedal that out, all we're offering people are empty carbs, leaving them empty and without hope. So together, we are committed to the long-haul work of the church, and that includes being like-minded in our core beliefs of the Christian faith, who God is, and what God has done. Guess what? We don't have to go far to find those things. We have God's Word that. Therefore, we must be grounded to the same foundation which is revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. Crucial. Necessary. To be in harmony with one another, to live in harmony, to be like-minded is to be rooted in this, these core beliefs. 
Secondly, we find that it is a shared vision that we hold on to. That is a shared vision soaring to the same hope. So if we're grounded and rooted in these truths, they're going to do a work in us that gives us a hope that soars. That we are beholding something amazing when we come to God's word. We're beholding God, the character and worth of God revealed to us through the pages of Scripture. So we're beholding the sufficiency of God for us through Christ. That is to make us soar with hope. We want to be grounded in what we believe, but our hope is to soar because of what God has revealed to us. In short, this vision is to go about treasuring Christ. Treasuring Christ because Christ has done for us all that we are needing to be done. That means the vista we have is one of glory and of grace. And that vista, that view of glory and grace is all possible because God planned, Christ fulfilled, and the Spirit applies. What we behold, get this, what we behold in the gospel is a holy God reconciling a sinful people by means of a sufficient Savior, working in us a redeeming grace. What could soar the human heart higher than that? Money? Comfort? Wealth or health? An easy life? A relationship? No, all of those could go. All of those could be gone in a moment. No, the heart soars when it beholds all that God has done in the gospel. All that it reveals about his character and worth. All that it reveals about our redeemed and rescued lives. All that it shows us about Jesus, our sufficient Savior. How can the heart not soar with hope when that's our view? I... I may have said this before, but when we lived in California, we would occasionally go to Yosemite, and we liked going in from the west side, from Fresno, because you had to go through this long tunnel, and then as you came out of the tunnel, you, you like were in Narnia. It was amazing. All of the view was all of the, the major markers of Yosemite National Park. You saw them all in this one valley as you came out of a tunnel. To have that view is overwhelming that they had to build parking all along the side because everybody was ready to stop and just soak it in. Every week we go through a tunnel of just stuff in this life. When we gather together, when we come together, it's not to bask and the drudgery of the tunnel, but to bask in the vista of the gospel. This is what we get to behold, and it should cause the heart to soar. So, being like-minded in our core beliefs and our shared vision leads us to be like-minded in a committed mission, that is, working to the same goal. We have these core beliefs about who God is and what he has done. 
rooted and firm under our feet and lives. And if we're soaring with this hope that we see in the gospel and what God has done for us, then, and we want to be a people who go about treasuring that, then, then the work that we are to be committed to together, this committed mission, is that we would be a people that are leading people to treasure Christ through all of life. That this church exists to lead people to treasure Jesus through all of life. If He's the view, if He's the vista, if that's what we're beholding, then, then, then our work is, come on everybody, let's go! Let's go see this great Jesus! Let's keep treasuring Him! Let's keep beholding Him! Come on! Hey, you way over there in the dark, come on over here! Let's go! We'd be committed to that together. And, and it shows up in, in a several ways. One, that we would be working together to the same goal of treasuring Christ through worship. That what we're doing right now, treasuring Christ through worship, is the corporate gathering. It is a public gathering of the church to make much of God by means of His grace, all to His glory and to our good. That when we gather together on a Sunday morning like this, right now, we're committed to say, we're here. We, we're, we're here. We might be here by a bare thread, but we're here. And we need to be in a mutual encourager to each other to go about treasuring Jesus through worship. And when we do that, we come here with that work together, committed to that together. In the long haul, being like-minded that when we gather here, we want our heads and our hearts to go Christward. We need to know that Jesus is here. He's our worship leader. Jesus is leading the worship. I love Hebrews chapter 2 verse... Well, I love Hebrews, period. I love Hebrews chapter 2, period. I love Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12. It's incredible. It's, it's quoting some psalms, and it's attributing these psalms to Jesus right now. The, the resurrected, reigning, ruling, one day returning Jesus right now. What is Jesus doing right now? Well, He's leading our worship right now. Right this very moment. And what is He doing? Hebrews 2.12 I, attributing this to Jesus, will tell of your name to my brothers. So through the Word and by the Spirit and in this preaching, Jesus is working right now, bringing the Word of God to bear on your heart and mine. What else is He doing? Well, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. He's the one leading our praise Godward. He is to be the center of what we are doing. Because He is the center of our worship right now. So, being like-minded is to come here treasuring Christ through worship. And it also means that we go about treasuring Christ in community, which is really the heartbeat around our series this summer of one another, cultivating a gospel community. Community, this thing that we are committing to together is to be shaped by the gospel. And when it's shaped by the gospel, we go about making much of the gospel to each other. That is, our care for one another is this. 
When you look across this room and in your life groups or in your ABF or in your small little discipleship groups or when you're serving with kids or with students or when you're helping in the food pantry or whatever it is that you might be doing in the life of this church. If it's a Friday morning with other seniors, if it's it's a Wednesday night with students that are in middle school or high school, whatever it might be that you are looking at that as an opportunity to help that person or those people or each other mutually go about treasuring Christ more. That that would be your motive. Not to fulfill some sort of nagging emptiness in your life, but you would actually go about serving because you can't wait to help other people treasure Jesus. And you know what's amazing about that is? The things that you feel a little empty and struggle with in your heart, they get dealt with too. You start to see Jesus as the thing that fills the, that, that, that empty, that nagging, that longing. You know, the more we're all committed to that, the more we're all encouraging each other to see just how sufficient Christ is for our lives. And we grow at treasuring Christ more through all of life. Who wouldn't want that experience on the regular when gathered with others? Committed to this in the long haul. And then thirdly, we see that being like-minded in this long-haul work is treasuring Christ on mission. Mission that is shaped by the gospel makes much of the gospel to others. Makes much of the gospel to others. It's not about creating a little bubble. Christianity isn't meant to be in a cul-de-sac. We have great news. The people who are without God and without hope, here's the way. I particularly love Mark chapter 5. It's a moment it's hard to forget. Jesus comes across a man, a demoniac. He's got all the legion of demons in him. He's so crazy and so unwieldy that they, they chained him up and threw him in the catacombs and these cliffs... <laughs> They didn't know what else to do with him, so they just banished him to where people were already dead. Jesus showed up, and it's an incredible story and moment, and he rescues this man from this, and he puts him in his right mind. And at the very end, he gives him some instruction, and this instruction is very relevant for you and I. At the end of Mark chapter 5, Jesus speaking to this man who's been rescued and put in his right mind. He says this, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. What did he do? He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. For those of you who profess faith in Christ, call him king, call him savior. He has rescued you. And he has put you in your right mind. And he says to you, go home. Tell your friends all that the Lord has done for you. Being like-minded, on mission together, we get to make known the overwhelming goodness and grace and power of God for us through Christ. People will marvel. Many will come to know him. 
What a privilege. Let's live in that sort of harmony together. That we would be on that sort of same page in our core beliefs, in our, in our shared vision, in our committed mission, that we would be that together as a church. Because the more we labor in that work together, in the long run, the more we are going to see it produce a joy-filled power in the church. While culturally speaking, we may be pushed to the margins, that doesn't mean God isn't going to work powerfully in there. We have a great opportunity to experience the power of God at work in our church and find that to produce in us an overwhelming joy. First, it's a joy-filled, powerful worship. It's a joy-filled, powerful worship. Now, I'm going to switch the word on this and not just think of it as the corporate gathering, but as a description of our very lives. Our very lives are that of worship. And so when God is at work in us, as we are laboring to live in harmony with one another, committed to the core beliefs and the shared vision and the committed mission, then then what we will find is that it produces in us a joy-filled, powerful worship that our very lives are, are beaming with joy and hope and power because God is at work. That we are beholding and becoming what God would have us be. So first of all, we're beholding. That is, worship is obviously more than just singing together on a Sunday morning. It's a manner of living that declares and displays the immeasurable worth of God. That our very lives would be that of worship. If you noticed over the last few weeks, we've been tied to Romans 12. We've essentially covered this entire chapter. But it starts off with these incredible words in verse 1. Sort of as the canopy for all that would follow. I appeal to you, therefore... Brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That your very lives and the manner in which they live are lived out, beholding all that God is and revealed in the pages of Scripture. All that is relevant to us through, by means of the gospel. Beholding that, that, that your life is, is a spiritual worship. You're saying God is worth it. He's worth it. And that beholding then has a profound impact on our becoming. Our lives beholding God by means of the gospel of grace not only say he is worth it, but also grow and change in powerful ways, which is exactly what he says in verse 2 of Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Joy-filled, powerful worship. When we are committed to this for the long haul, we are saying together, God is worth it. Being on the same page, being like-minded, living in harmony with one another around the gospel brings the joy of beholding our great and glorious God. And brings the joy of growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. What else would we busy ourselves with? Politics? Cultural power and influence? They're empty. Fool's gold. The worth of God 
and the greatness of his grace and the sufficiency of our Savior, oh, there's joy. And that joy is not weak and empty. It's powerful. It changes lives. Oh, that that would be what we are committed to for the long haul and see experience in our lives together. Because then it leads to a joy-filled, powerful witness. Our worship centered around God, our witness will be beaming bright. But if we want to center our thoughts and attentions around cultural, societal values and norms and or around political affiliations and, polit- uh, and, and power, then, then we're going to witness to that. I would suggest let's not do that. We have a king, and he saves sinners, and he calls us home. Let's witness to him. Our redeemed lives, living in harmony with one another, tell an incredibly compelling story to the world around. Tell an incredibly compelling story that God really is worthy. And if we're made alive in Christ, we have a, we have a story to tell with our lives. Because dead men tell no tales, right? <laughs> Live rescue people do. That our powerful witness is going to be joy-filled and it doesn't matter on the receptivity of the world around. The world will ignore and oppose, but many will come to share in this story too. Even with opposition from around and even conflict within, the church, not perfectly, can display the working out of the gospel in powerful ways. There's a profoundly powerful moment in Acts chapter 6. There was some conflict within. While the church at large was experiencing some opposition around, the religious leaders around the church in the early days of the church didn't like the church, wanted the church gone. And there was, op- there was some sort of conflict within in Acts chapter 6. Not everybody was being treated right. There were some things that the church needed to be uh, uh, like alerted to so that people would be cared for appropriately. And, and so as they worked through that, not obviously a perfect situation, but they worked through that, we find this incredible description in verse 7 of Acts 6. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. As they worked to live in harmony with, together, being on the same page, being like-minded, God was powerfully at work in them, bringing about care that needed to happen within their family and also through them that those even priests that were opposing them came to know Jesus as king. That is a joy-filled, powerful witness. Life won't be perfect in the church, not this side of glory. But it does not mean our church can't be filled with a joyful, powerful worship and witness. Living in harmony with one another starts with the God of all grace. 
the more that He is the main thing, the main thing brings change to our hearts and our lives, shaping us to live for His glory, making much of His grace. And the more we taste and see that the Lord is good, the more we're going to help others taste and see that the Lord is good. May that sort of harmony be lived out together here at Trinity. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that in it we can find great hope and comfort. You call us to life with you. You have supplied for us immeasurably through the person and work of Christ and the gospel of grace and the powerful, uh, making alive, illuminating work of the Spirit. And we certainly pray that our church would go about living in harmony with one another, that the core beliefs and the shared vision and the committed mission would be all the more rooted and soaring and, and committed as, as a church family, that we would be so delighted and overwhelmed that we would have the, to have the privilege of making much of you, that you would work powerfully in us and through us. And God, we would even pray that for the greater Nashua area, for those who are living in darkness, far from you, orphaned and alone and without hope, that you would use our church family as means by which they would come to hear and receive everlasting life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we look forward to the days and weeks and months and years ahead. We look forward to baptisms and, and, and new believers' Bible studies. And we look forward to people growing and treasuring Christ through all of life. We look forward to all that you will do, all to your glory and to our good. Thank you for the grace that is sufficient for it all. Help us, God, live in harmony with one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.